You're listening to From the Front Lines, a special podcast from WUFT during the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast provides daily updates on Florida's response to coronavirus with a particular focus on North Central Florida. In addition to news and important information, From the Front Lines will feature a member of the community who is working to keep the community safe or running during these challenging times. Hello, I'm your host Ryan Vasquez and this is From the Front Lines. Here are the most recent COVID-19 numbers from around the state. There are now 144 positive cases of COVID-19 in Alachua County, according to the latest numbers from the State Department of Health. Positive case numbers in the North Central Florida region include 99 in Clay County, 68 in Marion County, and 55 in Citrus County. Statewide, there are 15,698 positive cases of the coronavirus and a reported 323 deaths. University of Florida Health is making coronavirus testing available to first responders and emergency room employees. Local first responders and ER employees who do not have symptoms of the novel coronavirus but nonetheless worry they have been exposed to it can now receive testing at UF Health. The testing involves a UF Emerging Pathogens Institute research study and will use an assay developed in-house at UF Health that has not yet been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Providers can choose to be tested by a nasal swab and or a blood draw. Marion County Public Schools has loaned 10,350 Chromebook devices to local students. Devices are no longer available as campuses and district offices are closed to the public. But Marion County students, parents, and families needing help with the online classroom experience can now access a distance learning page for help. Visit marionschools.net and look for the yellow Distance Learning for Students tab at the top. Governor Ron DeSantis says he's fine if local governments or county supervisors of elections request upcoming general elections or municipal contests be moved to the August 18th statewide primary date. 24 municipal elections across nine counties are scheduled in the coming months prior to the August primary. Several local elections are set for next Tuesday in Jackson, Lake, and Pasco counties. DeSantis says he'll work with local governments that want to move elections. Certainly anyone that requests to me pushing off to August, I don't think there's any election that couldn't be done at August. I don't think we'd lose much, so I'm happy to work with them on that. Local contests are currently on tap in May, June, and July in Levy, Marion, Jackson, Hamilton, and Gaston counties. With empty shelves and grocery stores becoming a common sight during the pandemic, State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Fried has issued an emergency order waiving certain packaging and labeling requirements for eggs sold by Florida food retailers. Florida's Director of Food Safety, Matthew Curran, says the move gets the staple food to consumers faster. This is a great thing that helps uh, avoid food spoil and provides more food to the market. In some areas, we're seeing shortages, so I think this is a win-win and can put that food into consumers' hands right away. Under the order, packaged eggs will not be required to have the pack date or egg grade on individual packages. That information will be made available on placards on display at the store. Florida Department of Agriculture's Communications Director, Franco Ripple, says the quality standard for eggs will not be affected by the new order. Consumers should still expect to have the same level of protection, but this is just an effort to move them more quickly. Commissioner Freed's emergency order followed an announcement made by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration allowing temporary flexibility for certain packaging and labeling requirements for fresh eggs sold in retail food establishments. State Attorney General Ashley Moody is asking more Florida retailers to limit per-customer sales of essential commodities and other scarce products during the COVID-19 pandemic. Attorney General Moody spoke by a conference call with members of the Florida Retail Federation to thank stores already taking steps to prevent hoarding and encourage even more participation in these crucial efforts. Representatives of some of the largest retailers doing business in Florida reported to the Attorney General that the supply chain remains strong and sufficient and scarce items are being quickly restocked in retail stores. 
Along with retailers, Attorney General Moody is requesting consumers not hoard by only purchasing reasonable amounts of supplies so that retail shelves can stay consistently stocked. The Florida Department of Health wants Florida residents to participate in a new COVID-19 Community Action Survey at StrongerThanC19.com. The anonymous two-minute survey asks a brief series of questions to help inform and improve the state's response to COVID-19. The goal is to help flatten the curve of this coronavirus's impact. Amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, treatment for many other conditions, both physical and psychological, have had to turn to telehealth, treatment from a distance. But with that comes new challenges. WUFT's Josh Williams spoke with occupational therapist and University of Florida grad Amanda Haas about the changes she has had to make in order to keep treatment going for her child patients. First of all, just tell me, what has this transition been like for you? So this transition has really... It's, it's pretty much kind of changed everything in all aspects of my life, um, with the biggest being work, because being an occupational therapist, I'm very hands-on with my patients, and so it's just been a big change trying to direct people remotely. Do you think that the treatment is as effective through remote settings? I think it really depends on the patient and what kind of treatment I can offer remotely. For some patients, I'm able to really coach um, the nurses or the parents on how to provide the treatment that I normally would provide if I was there in person. Um, And it's not the same, but it's better than no therapy at all. Other, because I, since I work with kids, um, it, it opens up an even bigger variety of treatments, I, I think. And so some kids, what I've been finding is I'm really limited by their behavior and their ability to sit in front of the camera and try to interact with me. And, um, you know, behavior is a big limitation sometimes for therapy in person. And so that is it's an even bigger factor over the video chat. Have you had to explain this to any of the children that you work with, explain what's going on? So I found a couple really cute um, illustrations and social stories regarding the coronavirus that I've been able to share with some of the kids that are able to understand those kind of materials. And they've um, responded pretty well to that. As far as the telehealth, goes I think that they do a lot of them do understand if they're able to understand those stories and um, you know with this type of therapy the caregiver and the the parent support is pretty much like the number one thing that I I need right now. How has this impacted your workflow? I mean are you still seeing as many patients? No, I'm definitely not seeing as many patients, although this week compared to last week has been really different. Um, So we had spring break two weeks ago, and so there were a lot of kids that couldn't be seen during that week. And then the following week, parents were kind of like, yeah, let's keep holding on therapy. But I think because now kids have missed two weeks of therapy, a lot more parents are coming around to the idea of telehealth. So 
um, my hours and my number of sessions are a lot higher than they were last week, or I'm, they're expected to be a lot higher than last week. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm really glad that parents are coming around to the idea of trying to do telehealth with me. It's really a learning process for both of us because I've never had to do anything like this before and neither have the parents. We really don't know how long we're going to be like this. Are you prepared to practice telehealth long term? Well, I feel like um, the really quick emergence of telehealth in our world. So I'm not the only one practicing telehealth. All the therapies are practicing telehealth and many doctors are practicing telehealth at this time. So I feel like um, in the future, telehealth is going to have a bigger presence in the healthcare field just because of this. And people are going to be more prepared in working with telehealth and their skills in telehealth because of this. Now, it's not my favorite thing to do, and I will be very excited to go back to working with kids in person, but I'm kind of grateful for having the experience to be able to deliver services over a new method. For potential patients who are considering treatment or services through telehealth, but are still on the fence, what would you say to them? You know, I would just say to give it a try. And that's kind of what I, where I've been with a lot of my families now who are on the fence. You never really know what's going to come out of it until you try it. In occupational therapy, I'm very used to grading my treatment sessions in order to um, in order to best fit the child and to best fit the family. And so, even with the cases I've had now who have been unsure, I've offered, you know, we can shorten the sessions if that's going to be better for you, or we can do it less frequently or things like that. So I would just say like, you know, just try it. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it, but I think it would be worth it. And a lot of people do telehealth through therapy if they are seeking a specialty that's maybe not offered in their area or their state. Um, and they've had success through those means. So I would say definitely try it. From the Front Lines is a production of the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. Thank you to our producers, Taylor Levesque, Daniela Mora, Anthony Montalto, Josh Williams, Melissa Fato, and Cameron Lund. Also, thanks to our fellow Florida public media stations for their contributions to this podcast. And a special thank you to Matt Abramson and Craig Lee for their work behind the scenes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have a story to share with From the Front Lines, please send an email to news at wuft.org. That's news at wuft.org. Join us tomorrow for another edition of From the Front Lines. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and of course, thanks for listening.